Hello and welcome to the weekly edition of the Mike Drago Sports Podcast. This is week 11 in Burks football, which means it's the start of the postseason, particularly the District 3 playoffs. We have nine Burks teams qualified for district playoffs. Also, three Burks teams headed to the Eastern Conference playoffs. We'll be talking about all of those games coming uh, later in the show. But today's show is dedicated to the District 3 playoffs. This is the 40th anniversary of the tournament. And who better to talk to about that than Rod Frisco, the former sports writer for the Harrisburg Patriot. Rod covered the tournament from its inception and knows more about it than anybody. So looking forward to talking to Rod. Also, we'll be talking to his former colleague, Eric Epler, who covers high school football for PennLive.com. We're going to get Eric's take on the top teams in the Mid-Penn Conference uh, throughout the district and throughout the state. Eric does the weekly rankings uh, in the state that you see uh, up here on MikeDragoSports.com. Just a reminder, the Mike Drago Sports Podcast is pre- presented this week and every week throughout the s- season by our sponsor, Utilities Employees Credit Union. The Mike Drago Sports Podcast is part of MikeDragoSports.com, which provides Berks County's most comprehensive coverage of football, soccer, basketball, and more. Check out the f- website to find feature stories, previews of this week's big games, game reports, schedules, and program histories for all the Burks football programs. Uh, If you check the website right now, you'll find a story about Bill Bourne, the man behind the Bourne Power Ratings, which ranks the top teams uh, throughout Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Also, you'll find uh, stories later this week uh, on college basketball. I talked to Mike Miller from Alvernia University about his team, which tips off uh, this weekend. Also, you'll find a story later this week about former Reading High Red Knights guard Wesley Butler, who is off to an outstanding start at Kutztown University. So I'll get to our guests in a minute, but first a word from our sponsor, Utilities Employees Credit Union. UECU invites you to enjoy low loan rates, competitive deposit rates, member rewards, shopping discounts, roadside assistance, and cell phone protection powered by Buzzing. Utilities Employees Credit Union, a powerful new way to save money. Located in Wyomissing or at uecu.org slash checking. Now to week 11 at Berks football. We've been waiting months for this, literally, the start of the district playoffs. Uh, Seven teams in action in districts this weekend, six on Friday night, one on Saturday. Saturday, of course, would be the Wyomissing Spartans, the number one seed in the District 3 Class 3A tournament. Governor Mifflin, the top Team in 5A earned a first-round bye, as did Burke's Catholic, which is the uh, number uh, four seed in Class 4A. Uh, Playing Friday night, Wilson hits the road and heads to number four, York High. Going to be a tough game for the Bulldogs there. Exeter hosts Southwestern in a Class 5A uh, opener. Daniel Boone is at Waynesboro. Twin Valley is at Spring Grove. In Class 4A, Conrad Weiser, the number seven seed, earned a home game against Big Spring. And Hamburg will be playing its first District 3 game at home ever against Bermudian Springs. So more on those games uh, as we uh, 
get further into the show. But first, I want to introduce our first guest, Rod Frisco. He's currently the webmaster uh, for District 3 and handles the website. Uh, he monitors the power ratings, which are so uh, critical for the district uh, tournament. Everything is based around those uh, power ratings. And uh, Rod, over the years, has compiled a uh, history of District 3 sports, uh, football in particular. He can, If you go on the uh, District 3 website, you can find every game ever played in district uh, in the history of the D District 3 football, records, uh, highest scoring games, top performances, all kinds of things there. Uh, Rod is a member of four different Hall of Fames. He covered... Uh, uh, wrestling, track and field, along with football during his 25 years at the uh, Patriot News. And he has spent 50 years involved in high school sports, going back to his days as a, a player at Oil City, uh, as a uh, writer, and now as an, an administrator. Rod, always great to talk to you. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Doing terrific, uh, Mike. How are you doing? I'm excited for the uh, the district playoffs, of course, uh, that start this week. But uh, also excited to talk to you. I just tell my listeners, Rod has been uh, my main man when it comes to questions for over 30 years. Anytime I have a question about uh, uh, football, District Three matters, you name it, Rod's the guy I go to. And the bad news that I heard earlier is that Rod is going to retire in the spring. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do without you, Guy. Can I, uh, any way I can talk you out of that? Yes. How much money do you have? Uh, you know, I'll start at like <laughs> 25 bucks. I don't know. You know, how's that's that? A, I don't know. That, that's the, that's the famous uh, Steffi Graf line. Whenever someone yelled, would you marry me? <laughs> she held back. How much money do you have? <laughs> so, yeah. Like, like, she's, uh, she's, no, she's, you cannot talk. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's like Steffi's hurting for cash, you know? Yeah, it was a hilarious line, though. But I uh, know you cannot talk me out of it. Uh, 50 years of uh, being involved is a good run, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, doing several different things, uh, even though I'll still be a little bit involved in high school sports. But, uh, yeah, it's, the, the bottom line is it's time, or I should say <laughs> time is taking care of that for me. Let's put it that way. Well, if, if you're available on Friday nights and you, you get the itch to cover a game, I, I can certainly put you to work there. It doesn't, doesn't pay a lot, but it's, it's, it's a fun way to spend your Friday nights in the fall. And that won't be uh, the first time I've ever covered a full Berks County football game, trust me. <laughs> I know. You, you've been here quite, quite a bit over the years. Well, let's, uh, well, let's talk about the, the, the history of the District 3 tournament. This is the sure. 40th year, uh, mm -hmm. and most people uh, – probably can't remember that there were no uh, district or state playoffs at one time. It's a fairly new uh, creature, uh, and it was not easy to get off the ground. What do you remember about those early years, the planning stages, and, and, and trying to develop all of the uh, apparatus that it takes? Well, the actual planning stages, I remember uh, nothing. I, I did not uh, come to the Harrisburg Patriot News until 1985, and, of course, the first uh, football playoffs had already – been in place starting in 1982 for the first few years uh, I was not around you know so I didn't I never sat in on meetings uh, what I uh, learned I got mostly from Fred Sprunk who was our uh, football uh, beat writer for the Patriot News back in the uh, very late 70s and the uh, early 80s uh, but I do recall you know that uh, it mostly came about as uh, in, re in response to 
you know, uh, just the mere fact that there were no football playoffs. That was the first thing. Uh, second, uh, the leagues out in the Harrisburg area were already in, in, in a little bit of chaos. And eventually that became the Midpen Conference. And it just so happened the uh, same year that the Midpen Conference formed was also the first year of the football uh, playoffs. That was not a coincidence um, because uh, uh, the way the schedules had been realigned uh, in the Midpen, the larger schools thought they were in a much better position to have uh, whatever uh, qualifying system was in place that that would help those schools out a lot. And that kind of broke the ice on getting the football playoffs off, off the ground. Right. But it did take a lot of meetings. You know, there was much, much discussion before it ever became a reality. That, that's interesting about the uh, reformation or the formation of the Mid-Pen Conference. I didn't really think of it in terms of that, but really they designed that setup for the district playoffs and kind of like what's going on in college football for the last decade as all the conferences realign and it's all geared towards the playoffs and of course making more money uh, yeah. as we get all these super conferences and, and we're, we're heading even more in that direction in high school with these super conferences next year, the Lancaster Lebanon league is going to be a 37 team monster yeah. with uh, all of the, with the 13 uh, uh, Burks teams joining there. So that's interesting. So when, when districts began in 1982, there were four classes or sorry, three classes, three, three classes, classes say, yeah, and correct. only three four classes. teams qualified uh, for yes. each classification. And the interesting thing is there was, there were not PIAA playoff state tournament until 1988 and that's a pretty big mm -hmm. gap so there were a lot of years um uh when uh no i'm sorry the uh state tournament started in 19 yeah 1988 no, 1988, 1988 right, yeah. right uh so uh and, and even that was uh uh i'll say kind of uh backwards or or uh very primitive uh, in the beginning because uh, district champions didn't automatically qualify at the beginning because in the early years of the state tournament, only four teams went each year. Uh, that's correct. And you'll remember the, uh, the last year that uh, uh, only region, they, the state was formed into four regions and they actually uh, were called region one, two, three, and four. You had to have the most, points there was a ranking system that the PIAA developed in order to qualify you had to you won your region by points and the district playoffs at that point were not a huge consideration um in fact they weren't a consideration you'll also remember mike you've been around you know as many years as i have um one of the things that really led to uh, all district camps advancing and this of course is separate from the district three playoffs we're talking about was the fact that the Eastern Conference was really the power, politically speaking, in the eastern half of the state, as far as football goes, in that northeast corner. And they were actually able to uh, have their losers in their conference games still qualify for regions based on points. And that happened a couple of times. And finally enough, people said, look, you know, all, all the other sports advanced district champions football should too. So I think it was 1994 was the first year that all district champions had the ability to qualify for uh, state playoffs. But the good thing about that, going back to districts, District 3 had already been in place for quite a while at that point, and it was no shock to the system for District 3 uh, to qualify for states. 
You're right. 1994 was the, the first year when uh, District 3 champs uh, uh, automatically went to the state uh, tournament. Yeah. And before that, why missing fans will tell you, old, old-time why missing fans, some of their best teams uh, did not make the state tournament. Uh, they were district champs. In 1990, the Spartans went 12-1, and won the mm-hmm. District 3 title in Class A, and that was it. Their season was over. Same thing in 91 and 93. They were 11-1 and won in 1993. And their season was over. And uh, I was talking to uh, Ross Tucker on this podcast last week, and he thought that uh, uh, a couple of those teams uh, certainly could have challenged for uh, sure. for state championships. Yeah, there are several schools in that uh, in that uh, circumstance. Probably the most egregious, and the why I'm missing examples are really good. But the most egregious was the year that uh, Mannheim Central went 13 and 0, won the district uh, uh, three class, you know, triple A title. Uh, and lost out on the state bid by literally one point in the ranking system. And there was, <laughs> I don't have to tell you, uh, even more so than why I'm missing, there was much more angst in the uh, Manheim Central community that year uh, regarding state playoffs <laughs> than anything I can quite remember. You know, they, they were very upset by that. That was an excellent team. I can't even, I don't want to say who the wrong, you know, the wrong quarterback was because they have that string of great quarterbacks, but that was a great team with a great quarterback and a great defense. And, that and, could have been a state qualifying team for sure. Yeah. 13 and 0. I would imagine that was one of the uh, uh, things that prompted the, 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 the state tournament to to you know uh, be developed because you just, you sure. just can't have uh, you can't have playoffs and have a team unbeaten and then that's it they're out. Uh, no. you know, now I don't remember what what kind of a power rating system or, or ranking system did the PIAA use to pick those uh, four regional champs. The PIAA used uh, developed its own system. Uh, it was similar to the one District Three used at the outset. Uh, that was called the Sailor rating system after uh, Dr. Roger Sailor, who uh, developed it. He developed it at the express interest of uh, District Three, by the way, the the one that District Three used. And they asked Dr. Sailor, uh, "We want one that's simple, easy for people to understand, and uh, and basically works." And he did develop. Uh, a very good, very simple mathematical system to do that. You may recall how how it worked. And I won't go into the details just because, you know, that's a bit of a time waster, but it worked well. It worked so well that the state developed its own modified version of it for those region rankings. It was, it was essentially a, a sailor system with different numbers involved. And, uh, uh, of course, we in District 3 uh, didn't know how well we had it and developed the uh, super complicated decimal-based uh, power ranking system we have today. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm talking District 3 football, the history of the tournament with Rod Frisco, former sports writer for the Harrisburg Patriot News. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to the Mike Drago Sportscast, brought to you each and every week throughout the football season by Utilities Employees credit union so uh rod now you weren't here you didn't come to the, the patriot news until ni- uh 1985 so you don't remember but the first district three champs there were three classifications uh, uh cumberland valley a mm-hmm. uh, one was it cumberland valley or conestoga valley cumberland yeah, valley cumberland valley yeah. AAA. they were the first triple a champ lancaster mm-hmm. catholic was the catholic. first double a champ and in the first single a championship game york catholic beat york holy catholic. name and the, uh, the first Burks uh, champion was the next year, 1983. Central Catholic beat Littlestown in an mm-hmm. overtime game. Uh, 
Uh, and there had been an overtime game the first year. In fact, I even covered this uh, in a previous lifetime. Steel High beat Mechanicsburg 28-27, double overtime. It was such an exciting game. And this is true. I'm not making this up. A Steel High fan had a heart attack in like the first overtime period. And, and, and you know, we had never seen overtime football at the high school level um, before that. And, and it was just an amazing way to introduce the district playoffs. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the overtime system they use uh, was actually in place in the National Federation rulebook. So they didn't have to uh, reinvent the wheel for that. That had actually been in place because there were other areas of the country that, of course, it did have football playoffs. So, um, But, yeah, it was brand new in 1982 in, in, here in uh, this portion of Pennsylvania. Uh WPIL, of course, District 7, Pittsburgh area, had the high school football players long before anyone else, including District 3. Uh, but they, t- I'm not sure they played off their championship game. If it ended in a tie, it ended in a tie. But they did have to have playoffs uh, if, to advance in earlier rounds. So um, that's, that's the history of uh, overtime. And that story you told is absolutely true. You know, the, unfortunately, the fan did pass Ooh. pass away. It did happen, but uh, um, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I should tell the story. But Fred Sprunk was there, and you'll remember it was the Hershey Park Stadium, the uh, press box back then, open air, and it happened right below the uh, press box uh, on that side of the stadium. And Fred claims truthfully that a steel high fan says says, "Come on, he's dead." Get out of the way. We've got to see the rest of the game. Oh, my game. goodness. I, that, that's... <laughs> Did that happen? Fred swears it's true. <laughs> I can't vouch for it because I was still in Johnstown. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I, I can believe it. And, and it's, it, it just it, it kind of fits. You know, it's probably a pro- apocryphal, but uh, uh, Fred to this day is always sworn. He says, yeah, these people are upset because the you know, and that was in the early days even of like EMTs, if you will. You know, and uh, fortunately, they had some there, but the, uh, they did get the van transported, but unfortunately, did pass away at the uh, hospital. <laughs> so, that, so it sounds like a good football story. Let's put it that way. It is. It's know. an it's an awesome football story. <laughs> uh, so, give me uh, go back in your memory banks. Tell me about some of your uh, most memorable games that, that that you covered in the tournament. Well, uh, I assumed you were probably going to ask that question, and and the one that. I still rank number one, uh, despite all the years and some of the great games. And Mike, you've been, uh, you covered some of the great games uh, that involve Burke's teams. No, in, uh, actually, I missed I missed some of the greatest games, and we'll get to that in a moment uh, because okay. I, I have terrible luck. But go ahead, give me give me your list. What's what's on your list? The number the number one game, the bat, the one that I still think about to this day was the Wilson Cumberland Valley four right. uh, A game in uh, 1990, and uh, uh, such a terrific football game. And uh, of course, Wilson fans, I'm sure, still remember this day that incredible uh, fourth quarter, you know, late in the game, a drive to score, you know, extremely late. I, I can't remember if it was the last, I think it was the last play of the game. And uh, uh, all I recall was uh, Wilson had a fourth and I can't remember the yardage play in their territory through a pass that, that was deflected by a Cumberland Valley player into the arms of a running Wilson receiver. Again, the name escapes me for a first down. The game would have basically been over at that point had uh, 
Wilson not made the first down, and they eventually came down and scored on, a, I think, another fourth down play that um, Wilson, uh, again, with a, uh, with a pass into the end zone. And the uh, defensive back for Cumberland Valley, I'll mention his name because I remember it, uh, his name is Chris Noter Francesco, an excellent football player, a tremendous cover guy. But by that time, the member grass on the field at uh, Hershey Park Stadium, he cut, slipped. The the receiver came open, caught the ball well, with his toes just inside the end line for the game winning score. Incredible. Just incredible, you know. And um, I don't remember much of what I wrote about the game, but I do remember in the lead I said, you know, something like on Friday, you know, Friday night, Wilson won the uh, District 3 4A football championship, but no one lost it because both teams played so well. Uh, it really, no one lost that game, but uh, Wilson did come down to win it, you know, that type of thing. Tremendous game. Right. And, and I think if you ask any uh, uh, longtime Bulldogs fan that the, the that game, which is known around here as the Fog Bowl, because I, Fog I, I believe yeah, that, yeah, the fo- yeah, the fog was rolling in right at the end of that game. Yeah, right, and it hadn't really until that final drive. There was like a little bit on the field, but by the time Wilson got down to that far end of Hershey Park Stadium, it was it was substantially foggy, and uh, in fact, I I did not see. I had to actually I had to be told later about uh, uh, the Cumberland Valley defensive back slipping and falling. Uh, because I couldn't quite see it that well. Of course, my vision stinks anyhow, but but I do remember the play, and I do remember literally, uh, and of course, the Wilson's huge celebration uh, down in that corner of the end zone, and uh, Cumberland Valley players looking like, uh, you know, a photograph from World War One in the trenches where they're all just laying about, you know. They they were so stunned and, and, and disbelief and... and and actual grief, you know, I mean, let's be honest, when you're in high school and that's a big goal and all of a sudden you have the game, you have it one, 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 one lost. It's heartbreaking. You know? And that's what they were experiencing. That night. But, but not just that, but the football game from start to finish was a terrific football game. Uh, one of the things forgotten in, in that game was at the end of the first half. Cumberland Valley had a great kicker, Jeff Sabe, who actually went on to uh, – he had spent some time with the Washington Redskins. Uh, the, who, the who? Jeff Sabe. No, no, the, the oh, team. The, who? No, well, the, the Washington uh, he, uh, who? The, the Washington football team. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Washington football team. We have to be politically and, correct here, Rod. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> but, uh, no, he, he attempted like a 48-yard field. He's a good kicker. The, the snap wasn't great, and in fact, the, the holder had to kind of trap the ball, not, not with the finger on the tip, but kind of held his hand on it because it was the only way he could grab it, so the ball was crooked, and Jeff's kick went kind of sideways. It was like a, it was a huge kick, but it was sideways and straight and landed on the crossbar, 48-yard field goal in high school. And just missed. It, it fell in, you know, into field of play rather than went over. Had he made that, there would, might have been no reason, you know, no dramatic ending like there was uh, for that game. So it was just an incredible night of football. So let me just fill in a few blanks. The, the quarterback for Wilson was Chris Adams, uh, Chris who, Adams, who okay. succeeded yeah. Kerry Collins. Chris, mm-hmm. Chris uh, won a district championship for that team. The receiver was Dean Kreris. Uh, okay. I think he was a tight end, but now again, I've only read about the game and heard about the game because uh, I, I didn't cover it at that time. Now this was 1990, 
And mm-hmm. uh, I was not uh, the full-time uh, beat writer at the Reading Eagle for football until uh, the 91 season. I was still covering the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and Buddy Ryan. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't draw that assignment. I, I know that Steve Patton covered the game, and legend has it that he, uh, the game ran so late, he literally uh, filed his story from the end zone sitting on the ground, uh, you know, or at least he wrote his story from the end zone This, uh, you know, mm-hmm. be- before Internet days and cell phones. So I don't know how he transmitted his story, but uh, that is certainly a, a legendary game. Now, uh, Jerry Slemmer was the Wilson coach. Gotcha. Uh, now, was Harry Chapman still at Cumberland Valley at that time? No, Tim Rimfel. Uh, it was, was Tim. Coach okay. Yeah, Cumberland Valley. Tim Rimfel, our, our friend, our late friend, Tim Rimfel. Very sad uh, to hear a few weeks ago that Tim passed, one of the, mm-hmm. the great personalities in sports uh, I've met. I'm sure you could say the same thing. Uh-huh. But uh, that was sure. uh, kind of the beginning or, or the early stages of what uh, must be, you know, one of the the greatest or one of the two or three greatest rivalries in District 3 football history, Cumberland Valley-Wilson, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, yeah it, it had been for years the definitive uh, playoff rivalry in District 3. There's no, I don't think there's any question about that. And there were other schools in the, that, that met frequently in the playoffs, but uh, ju- it just seemed like uh, that game was elevated maybe even above others. And it's not class snobbery as much as they were always – not always, but usually pretty good football games, uh, often decided by uh, less than a touchdown. Uh, only a few times were there a significant blowouts during either, either of those games. And let's be honest, you know, when, when it's Jerry Slimmer and either Harry, um, Harry Chapman or Tim Riffle who were at the wheel, you're talking about two of the greatest coaches in District 3 history, three of the greatest coaches when you include Harry, of course. Uh, and that really made those games significant. You always look forward to that game one way or the other, uh, even though I would constantly uh, gripe at Tim about running that darn wing tee. You know, <laughs> could you throw the ball a little more, Tim? You know, we'd appreciate it. Thanks. Now, you know, uh, but, John Ritchie was on that Cumberland Valley team, was he not? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, he yeah. was a sophomore. That okay. Year. Yeah. So yes. he's not 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 the feature not the feature back until probably the, well, the next he year. He was. Yeah. He 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 wasn't really quite a feature back per se. He was effective, but uh, he wasn't uh, quite the back he was in '91 and '92. In '92, they won the state title with him, and he was the back. You know, I mean, uh, who. I never saw a fullback take over games like John Ritchie did. You know, let's put it that way. Yeah, amazing player. You know, went to played in the NFL for a long time, and and uh, Jerry Slemmer, who was on the podcast uh, earlier this season, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Jerry had said at one point that John Ritchie was the best player his his Wilson teams had ever faced as far as a visiting player. And and I'm That's sure a pretty lot, high compliment. Yeah, it is a high compliment, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of coaches would have said the same thing about. Uh, uh, John Ritchie. Uh, so uh, anyway, I so I, I missed you know the greatest football game in Burke's history, what yeah. m- many people would consider the Fog Bowl, and I probably missed number two, which was and we call it the Lord's Prayer, uh, when uh, Gregory Lord from Why I'm Missing, uh, which runs that wing tee, uh, caught mm-hmm. a a last second hail mary, uh, well not a hail mary, but it was a it was a designed throw but it was a bomb about an 80 yard bomb down the field that uh lord caught and beat lancaster catholic which i believe was the, i was in the district championship game 
uh, and I believe Lancaster Catholic was the defending state champ, and, and everyone just assumed they were going to win another one, and uh, why missing mm-hmm. stunned them that year. Now, were you at that game? Yeah, I was at that game as well, and that, and that yet is way high on the list of incredible uh, uh, District 3 fo- football playoff games. And uh, mostly I remember, quite honestly, any championship games over uh, semifinals or even quarterfinal games. But there have been some great games at those levels as well. But, yeah, the uh, the Lord the Lord catch, and uh, I think someone even said at that point, that time like oh that's the lord's prayer you know right there or something like that you know it's like on site you know but uh yeah i uh, and and i'll be honest i didn't always cover some of the uh uh triple a or double a or, or single a championship games you know it was a, it was a mix usually during those championship weekends uh, if there was a 4a game and a mid-10 team was involved that's where i was but uh, i happened to be at happened to be at that one i for whatever reason the uh, schedule worked out that i could uh be at that game it was terrific terrific football game well, terrific game silly me now uh uh governor mifflin and wilson were playing that night in a district uh, quad a semifinal and i thought Semi, well, right. yeah i'm gonna go to that game because well one thing it's uh, it's two burks teams and the other it's a it's a quad a game and it's you know probably the greatest rivalry in, in burks football or at least oh, right. you know right up there uh, with Central Catholic Holy Name, and uh, unfortunately, or you know, for me, and, and fortunately for the Mustangs, that turned out to be a mercy rule game. Mifflin just ran Wilson right off the field, which was uh, you know kind of incredible. And then I get back to the office and find out that you know I missed the greatest game in why missing history, uh, <laughs> at least to that point. So anyway, I have, I have bad luck with things like that. So uh, it, who else is on your list? What other games? You got anything else uh, close to those? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll tell you the one, the one in its own own way was the uh, worst uh, championship game. I'll, I'll kind of start at the bottom, and that would have to be the Cedar Cliff Cumberland Valley two nothing game in 1987 out at uh, Hershey Park Stadium. Now that that game was uh, pretty much. Uh, sheer misery for people who like good, sharp, clean, offensive football. You know, <laughs> it didn't happen that day. And the other thing about that, that was also played a fog. You know, people kind of, you know, people obviously are going to forget that that game, but it was it was also played in the fog. The weather forecast that day was uh, actually supposed to be pretty good, like a, a rise into the mid-50s and, you know, decent weather. Uh, I didn't trust it, and I actually um, – dressed for winter and it turned out to be a winter type of day because the fog never lifted and the sun never broke through and uh, poor ed panessa who was on our staff at the time ed had worked at the lebanon daily news but was also part of the patriot news staff he believed the weather forecast and showed up in a, a like a light uh, shirt <laughs> and and i he goes he, and he was mumbling and screaming and complaining i says hey i think the gift shop over at the uh, chocolate world still open if you want to go grab a sweatshirt <laughs> you know, so but uh, but that was a horrible game but uh it was terrible but uh other games you know and i was trying to think about but i but you know wilson cumberland valley 90 was was so extraordinary and high on my list I, a lot of them pale compared to that uh, for a lot of different reasons but um i mean i covered uh, a, a really good was it single A Camp Hill Hanover game that was just an outstanding game over at Boiling Springs uh, that came down to the last last couple of plays and uh, sure enough uh, uh, Camp Hill uh, uh, 
had a chance to win at the end, uh, literally went the last two seconds. And quarterback for uh, Camp Hill fired a really good pass in the end zone to a receiver who unfortunately just plain dropped it. You know, I mean, uh, he makes the catch, Camp Hill wins. He doesn't make the can- catch, Camp Hill loses, and Hanover wins. And um, <laughs> what I remember about that game is the Camp Hill <laughs> head coach, Steve Stoner, he was, you know, he was pretty upset. And Steve could be a fiery type type of guy and we kind of gathered around him after the game to do the uh, uh, morbid uh, post, well the post-mortem you know and no one kind of knew exactly how to approach it other than directly and he says look he says if anybody says anything bad about my receiver I'm going to burn your house down <laughs> and I couldn't help myself I said I said I live on the east shore uh, Steve you're willing to drive that far <laughs> you know? And he goes, this isn't funny, Rod. <laughs> and remember, I was new in town at that time, too. You know, I was only in my second year at the Patriot News. So, um, but, but that was a really good uh, you know, single-way football game. Uh, lots, of, lots of interaction. I think there were some lead changes in that, that sort of thing. Um, certainly, uh, uh, oh, the other one that really, really stands out, I mean, really stands out, was Lower Dauphin beating Mannheim Central. In uh, in a 3A game, championship game that broke Mannheim Central's long winning streak in districts, had won like nine straight titles, and Lower Dauphin finally finally got to them, and that was uh, won on a late uh, a late score by Lower Dauphin, um, and in fact it was. And that was like 1996 or seven. I can't remember the exact year. Also at Hershey Park Stadium, from Tremendous football game back and forth. Lower Dauphin played an incredible second half, and uh, that uh, that stands out well. And I'll never forget, you know, Mike Williams' look on his face. He, and I and Mike was, you know, I was like Mike. There's some people who uh, didn't get along with him. Well, I guess you know, I always got along with him. He, I was talking to him about it after the game. He just had this look on his face. He says, he says, I haven't had to. Um, have this talk in uh, nearly a decade i really don't know what to say which i thought was a great quote <laughs> and he says i don't know what to say he says uh, and then he went on to say you know great things about ld he said hey they did you know they played the game and our guys weren't ready for you know that type of uh, that type of reaction from a team they thought they'd beat and uh, so that was you know that was another one and the rest you know there's there's a huge uh, basket of games that you know i could go into but uh there are many that uh, had so many great moments, fourth quarter finishes, you know, all that type of stuff. And that's what playoff football is all about. And uh, you remember, Mike, I mean, I know you came up here from uh, from Maryland, but up here in, in Pennsylvania for all those years, people really re- resisted uh, football playoffs for whatever reason, you know, too many games, too late in the season, et cetera, and so forth. But since the District 3 playoffs and, and of course, the PIAA playoffs have begun, we've had nothing but incredible memories throughout these uh, 40 years. So uh, that was always my answer to it, too. I says, you don't know what you're missing, you know, when you don't have these games being played. So You mentioned uh, Mannheim Central. I'd say near the top of my list among best games I've seen, district championship games, uh, it had to be Mannheim's uh, 30 to 29 win over Governor Mifflin in 2017. 
unfortunately mm-hmm. for the Mustangs, they didn't win. But it was just a back-and-forth thrilling game. And both teams, I think Mifflin scored to take the lead with about four minutes left. And Mannheim, yeah, a minute or two game. later, came back and took the lead for good. And, and, you know, just two really good teams. And, you know, the one, the neat thing about football championships at the district level is it's it's win or go home. I mean, you know, you, the basketball, you know, you can have five, six, you can finish seventh or eighth in your district and still go into the state tournament. And we've seen teams like, well, Reading High uh, uh, lost a district semifinal in basketball, Lonnie Walker's senior year, and went on to win a state title. You can't do that in football. you got, you got to win them all once the playoffs start. Yeah, and uh, quite frankly, good for uh, Reading High that year that uh, Lonnie was a senior, that they did have that opportunity. But on the other hand, football, you're right. And that does – that does raise the level of intensity in those games. Uh, uh, nothing, you know, <laughs> we're going to talk about basketball, which we're not supposed to, I guess, but uh, I will say the Reading Harrisburg semifinal game at uh, Giant Center that year was one of the greatest high school events I ever attended, period. Wow. I, I, that night was, and you were there, Mike. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that night was extraordinary. Uh, so, and, and quite a basketball game, but you know, on the other, on the other side, football, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how many tears I've seen from kids because they were one, literally one play or two away from getting a shot to go to States. Uh, and it, you're right. It doesn't quite happen the same way in basketball or even in some of the individual sports, you can finish uh, second or third uh, in a you know in your district and still have a shot at states to do something. So yeah, the uh, the district playoffs, uh, um, I think they're growth. I think they're uh, uh, their interest. I, I, I do think district three fans have been good fans and uh, uh, the attendance has been great and the uh, uh, build up and interest has always been uh, significant and it still is today. I mean. Uh, this week, starting up, there's there's plenty of games that people are interested in uh, in seeing, and uh, I don't know if it's similar to 19 the 1990s, but it's still there. So, so I asked you about uh, favorite memories of games. Uh, how about individual performances? I'm going to guess mm-hmm. that. Uh, Ricky Waters has to be at the near the top of the list among the the best players and the best uh, you know single game performances you've seen. Amongst, well, single game, and I'll tell you, his uh, uh, his other Bishop McDevitt uh, NFLer, uh, Lashawn McCoy. Oh, yeah. uh, I've got I've got a stat for you from uh, oh geez, what's the year now? Uh, I can't I can't remember which year, two thousand and three or two. I think two thousand three, and McDevitt uh, w- was playing in the four A at at the time, and Shady. Uh, they played three games. They had quarterfinal, semifinal, and uh, championship games. Shady rushed in those three games for over 1,000 yards in those three games. That, to me, is one of the most astounding stats ever in the District 3 football history. He went over 300 all three games, and the uh, addition of those uh, extra yards over 300 put him at like 1,000 and. 76 yards in three games. No, that's almost impossible, Mike. Right. (laughs) That's a record that's going to stand because not only is it, it's a whole season in three games, but you're doing it against good teams. Uh, Just amazing. But, you know, again, Shady McCoy on a different level, you know, 
another guy headed to the NFL. Um, uh, you know, sort of, sort of like I'll throw, throw Nick Singleton out there from Governor Mifflin. I mean, a lot of people think you know he's on that similar path, and and that's why I'm anxious to see uh, you know what happens you know, with him in the uh, district and possibly state playoffs. So you mentioned Shady's record. He's got just about every record there is in the book. And, and we know that because Rod wrote the book on the District 3 football playoffs. Uh, you go onto the District 3 website and you click history and you can find uh, incredible stuff there. Uh, every game ever played for, you know, any team you want to look, look up, all the records of most touchdowns in the game, most rushing yards in the game, uh, fewest points scored in a game you mentioned the two nothing game that's got to be in there uh, yeah. uh as a record uh, you know rod you, you made uh kind of your your life's work out of compiling those records and and you did it not only for football but you've expanded uh the team histories for well, almost every sport am i correct yeah that's that's correct you know and i'll tell you what my motivation was uh, it's not for you to say nice things on the podcast, although I thank you for it. And I will also say that those records are not updated right now. The job at District 3 has gotten so busy, that, and unfortunately, records are not the priority. The priority is administrative work dealing with the schools. That's what I do. Um, but so the records on the website right now are not great. But if people listening to this podcast go to the District 3 website and click on the football program link the one the online program that uh, dave reader our, our newest uh, member has just compiled there'll be a lot of the updated corrected uh, records on there i just haven't had time to uh, go in and keep them updated the way i want to uh, come retirement next year that'll be one that'll be my hobby i'll make sure everything's uh, squared away oh that's music but, uh, music to my ears i'm glad, I'm yeah, glad you said that's, that that's, and, that's, and i didn't know about the, the program uh that it had the updated records because I, I was looking for some stuff earlier in the week and i was going to give you the business about that uh so uh you know thanks for mentioning that and also mention to the fans now is this the second or third year of the uh the non-printed program uh, second year. Second year. Uh, and I tell you yeah. what, check these things out. Go on the District 3 website or on Twitter. I'm sure Rod's going to, uh, I believe you've already tweeted it out. Uh, but this program is incredible. You can download it you know, from your phone when you're sitting in a game or uh, before or after a game or on your laptop, whatever. And uh, they did a tremendous job with this. Uh, no more printed programs. No more, uh, no more cash at games. Am I right, Rod? Uh, no, we're doing cash this year. Uh, we had discussed doing uh, strictly online sales, but um, when we discussed it thoroughly in committee, uh, there were some there were some schools who were uh, uh, not sure whether they wanted to do that. We were unsure whether we wanted to do it as a district. Uh, well, I do think in the next year or two, you'll see everything going to cashless and online sales. But right now, we decided this year coming back with uh, with full uh, brackets and that many games. Uh, we're going, we're going to do it the old way one more, one more year. So in re retirement now, like I said, you you already written the the record book on District Three football. Uh, any thoughts on writing an actual book about um, local sports, high school football, or even wrestling, which I know is a was a passion of yours for a lot of years. Possibly. I mean, uh, I'm, I actually kind of prefer that when it comes to like records that it just stays in kind of that record almost a college SID type form I think it's easier for people to read but but like we were saying earlier about the Cumberland Valley Wilson game you, you there's no format for that other than to tell the story and uh, I've, I've thought about it I've just literally been too 
too busy in these last 11 years that I've worked with the district to uh, do anything more than uh, work for the district, except uh, I do have the summer months, quote unquote, off. But that's when I usually update uh, uh, files and records and things like that. So there's a poss- there's a possibility of that. Uh, it all depends on how things uh, uh, break in these next couple months before I actually uh, step down from the job. Uh, my wife wants to spend time at the beach. I know that. So, and I'm not opposed to that. So, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, the Maybe. beach. The beach can be a nice place to hang out, and you can take your laptop down there. And you know, you got to have something to do at night, so you can update records at night. Sit on the beach during the day. Sounds like uh, my kind of lifestyle. Well, if, if, I, if I take the laptop to the beach with me in retirement when I'm not working, uh, some someone may have to go and wipe go to wife number three you know <laughs> that, that may not go over very well, so. <laughs> well i could tell you uh, rod and the addition of rod's position and rod's the work he's done for the last decade with district three it's been a, a godsend for sports writers uh, such as myself i mean there's, uh, there's not many of us left but uh you know we do appreciate that and, and the fans the hardcore fans really love digging into those numbers and and rod i, I appreciate that so much and i appreciate you, you joining me on the podcast we're gonna we'll do this again you mentioned basketball basketball season's coming up and uh hey if you want to ever talk hoops we can do that as well um but rod it's been a lot of fun catching up with you well i appreciate it uh, mike and really the only hoops i can talk about is the uh, lonnie walker uh, semifinal game and the lonnie walker uh, state championship game that's it that's my basketball right there well those those two would (laughs) that that would fill up a podcast because there's a lot of stuff to talk about there but rod thanks thanks again No, thanks again, Mike. And hey, continue on. You've been doing great work and uh, really hope uh, you're as uh, successful at this as you were at the uh, at the Eagles. So your Berks, Berks County fans got it. Got it. Great. Trust me. Thank you. The Mike Drago Sports Podcast is brought to you each week during football season by Utilities Employees Credit Union. Did you know that Pennsylvania residents can become a member of Utilities Employees Credit Union? For 30 years, UECU has received the five-star superior rating among banks and credit unions. UECU has the highest ranking level available in capital adequacy, asset quality, and stability. Get started online at UECU.org or stop by our branch in Wyomissing on Meridian Boulevard. Now to our next guest, Eric Epler a colleague, a former colleague of Rod Frisco, our first guest. Eric works for uh, PennLive.com. He covers football there uh, for over 25 years. He handles the uh, uh, state rankings, which we're going to get into a little bit. But uh, a little background on Eric. He was a uh, former football and baseball player at Bishop McDevitt, a 1991 grad, went on to play baseball at North Alabama, and graduated from the uh, from Eastern Michigan University with a, a journalism degree. Uh, worked at the Patriot News starting as a 15-year-old when he was taking uh, box scores over the phone. Uh, did all kinds of jobs at the Patriot News before becoming a writer there. And um, uh, excited to talk to Eric about all matters District 3 football. Eric, welcome to the show. Excited to talk to you about District 3 football. But first, I want to ask you about the state rankings, uh, which it seems to me like an enormous task. 
uh, to track teams all over the state. Uh, and I would think that the toughest part of that is in the preseason when, you know, before anybody's played any games. Uh, tell me about your starting point and, and, you know, how you get things, you know, going and, and when do you start working on those? Yeah, pretty much about a week after the PIAA championships in December is when you start looking back at sort of the rosters um, and kind of uh, guys coming back, guys you know that are going to be on the All-State ballot. The All-State teams traditionally come out around two weeks after uh, the end of the the last championship game, so somewhere right before Christmas uh, is when they they come out. So you start looking at talent coming back, uh, expected to be back. Obviously, not everyone comes back or the transfers and things like that, but you start looking at it then just sort of, you know, you just sort of give it a quick glance. And then probably around June 1st, um, you get a good sense. And what I do is um, I have a pretty good trusted network of sports writers from around the state that I sort of lean on. And uh, I solicit advice. I solicit advice from probably 40 to 50 writers uh, from across the state, from across the state. And then um, once that information comes in, I kind of start filtering it down Um to see where these guys might've ended up all statewide, this and that you've uh, they're expected to have 17 seniors, uh, 15 starters back, you know, eight on this side, seven on that side. That's the kind of information you sort of just, you know, sit down uh, and for a few weeks just sort of dissect and sort of whittle down. Um, and then I go to basically my, you know, ultra trusted seven to eight guys uh, from every pocket, uh, from the Northeast, Southeast, uh, you know, Northwest, and, of course, Pittsburgh area, um, and then get their opinion on basically the, the first draft. Um, this, the state rankings preseason will go through a series of drafts uh, where you, you, you sort of toggle teams up and down, and, and then you try to project where they may end up, you know, once district playoffs start, and you sort of go from there. So, it's it is a collaboration. It's a it's a long term collaboration that continues through the year, um, you know. And I'll have I'll have guys that will te- that will text or email me and say, "Listen, Ep, uh, keep an eye on this team for the next two weeks. They got these. They got two tough battles coming up, but if they win those, then they're seven and one. They're a team on the rise. So keep an eye on them. And then what? Once I get those sort of emails, I will start looking. Uh, if I don't, if I haven't seen film or, or some tape or at least highlights on them, I'll start looking for those things once I get, um, you know, some advice from from guys from around the state. So uh, so that process just continues all the way through. Obviously, it gets a little bit easier once the postseason begins and the field uh, basically, you know, your your 563 teams are cut in half or a little under half. So it gets a little easier once the playoffs begin. But. Yeah, it is a grind. I mean, it's it's probably a 10 to 12 hour process weekly. It happens usually on Sundays uh, because we crank them out the Tuesday morning each week um, throughout the season. So, um, yeah, so I a lot of people believe it's just me, you know, in my basement and sort of, you know, mad scientist kind of looking. And, and but it's not uh, there is a process in place. And, and the guys who the guys who I've trusted with the information have been around a long time and, and know their stuff. So I trust them and, and that's how we get it done.
And how much of uh, of your the guys you depend on are, are coaches, and and how how reliable is that information? Because uh, coaches obviously look at things uh, differently, but uh, you know, can't, you know, does does much of that preseason uh, opinion come from any coaches? Zero coaches, Mike. Mm. We do, I do not lean on any coaches. No coaches have any input in the state rankings that I produce. Uh, it is all sports writers, and it it is guys who are. Mostly football centric. I know these days in our industry, uh, everybody is sort of GA general assignment reporters. We cover multiple uh, multiple sports, and we do have and I do have a couple guys like that, but they are heavy football guys, and these are guys who have been around you know 10, 12, 15, 20 years in the business that have seen great teams, seen teams that have underachieved, overachieved, and, and they know what they're looking at in their pocket, and they'll know way better. Obviously. You know, a guy like Tom Weisenweber in uh, in Erie knows a heck of a lot more about District 10 football than I ever will, um, no matter how many highlights and, and, and film and huddle videos that I watch. So he's a trusted source. For, he's one of my trusted sources up there in that neck of the woods. And these guys have all, have all seen it all. So the coaches have their own sort of input uh, with the PA football news rankings. I know they do rankings. Uh, that's more coach. Uh, coaches have input there, uh, a lot of input there. Uh, we do not use any coaches at all for for the uh, for what is considered basically the sports writers' uh, state rankings. And, and how much uh, impact, like a percentage, is is uh, we'll call it the cultural or traditional uh, uh, teams? You know, when you ha- when you're dealing with a team like a Mannheim right. Central or uh, uh, you know, uh, a fair, uh, Southern Columbia, you know, those teams are good every year. So uh, right. d- d- is there, you know, you, they sort of get, get it, uh, a little advantage there in the rankings because of that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I would say yes. I, I wouldn't say it's a huge event. Adva- it's a huge percentage, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are programs that simply replenish themselves. Uh, you know, obviously being in your neck of woods, why missing one Wilson's traditionally another, uh, strong programs that just sort of retool every year and 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 are there. So there may be a slight advantage to historical, but what we really try to do in the preseason is try to avoid that. Um, obviously, once the season begins, uh, it all comes out in the laundry. You either win or you lose, uh, and then you get you know obviously toggled up or toggled down. But preseason, we really try to identify those programs sort of on the rise that could, you know, if all things being equal, everyone stays healthy, their schedule is, is, um, is favorable uh, to what we believe to be, a, you know, maybe a 10 and 0 season or nine and one potential season. We really try to identify those teams early and maybe at least at the very least, get them on the fence of the top 10 uh, in the teams to watch and uh and really keep a close eye on them i mean there's you know there's a there's buckets of those teams you know there's a lot of districts that are simply overlooked because maybe it's a traditionally just all small school district nine being one of them but you know district nine also has a a very good teams like clearfield and bedford uh, i'm sorry uh, clearfield and then the whole list of single a teams that any one of those teams from year to year um can pop up so you don't want to be behind in noticing that this team has the potential to be very good. So preseason is where we do a lot of that sniffing out. Um, and then, like I said, once the season begins, um, you know, it, it's all on the players and the teams. 
Now, is one of the harder things when a smaller school, a single-A, double-A, triple-A team kind of moves up and challenges itself and, and may take a loss to a big school uh, or take multiple losses? I mean, is it, is it difficult to put that in perspective? And, you know, you might have a team that's 3-3 three and three, but, but still think they're the best single-A team in the state? Yeah, it is It is difficult. I mean, a perfect example would be a traditional powerhouse single-A uh, earlier this year was Clareton. I mean, Clarity came out with a tough schedule early, what was 0-2, it looked like they were in shambles, and everybody sort of forgot about them. Well, you know, four weeks later, they're sitting there 4-2, and two, and the guys in Pittsburgh are basically saying, listen, this is still the best team in, that we have in 1A. Well, okay, that may be true, but I can't, you know, we can't sort of knock the team that's 7-0 and 0 because they've been hammering everybody. So Clareton's got to work hard to get to creep up to creep up to that level and then, you know, to kind of overtake that spot. So a perfect example, too, was, was um, you know, why Missing's victory over Southern Columbia. The weight of that victory felt huge. But I think the people who understood football was why Missing should should win that game. They should win that game. So, yes, the 65-game streak is, is a monster, and that went by the wayside. Southern Columbia had not been out of the top spot in 2A, since I believe early 2016. So five plus years since they were out of the one spot in two a. So, you know, you know, back then, obviously before we had, we had six classes, but um, so, so things like that are tough to factor in because it's, it's not apples versus apples. So, um, you know, St. Joe's prep plays arguably quote unquote, a national non-conference schedule. Um, does so does losing to a nationally ranked team out of Georgia? Uh, how do you weigh that loss? You know, how do you how many spots down uh, do you demote them because of that loss? So things like that are very difficult, and that's again where I sort of lean on the guys I trust to kind of come up with a with a decision um, that makes sense. Um, there, you know, there's some points too, Mike, where head to head goes out the window. You know, they're just, you know, once you start to get to that 10, 11 games in, you know, you, you may have beat that team in week three, but this is a completely different team now in week 11 headed into the playoffs. So all those things factor in. And um, it, in the long run, it's not an exact science. Uh, you know, obviously, I, you know, I, I will never say it is, but uh, I think we do a pretty good job of, of putting these things together and, uh, you know, and keeping it keeping it very relative and very uh, week to week. Well, I, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's obviously they're not going to be perfect. Uh, right. But, but I, I really, I enjoy the rankings like other fans because to me, it provides a framework for the season. And especially it's important to have a preseason ranking and just kind of know where teams stand coming into the season so that, you know, when they start playing each other in weeks two, three, four, you have some context there and the yes. scores mean a little more. Uh, so, you know, I appreciate the effort and, and so do all the fans across the state. So let's uh, let's bring it a little closer to home. Let's talk District 3 football. We're going to start in 6A. And, mm-hmm. you know, every year coaches will tell you at this time of the year, oh, it's really – it's it's up, up for grabs. It's really close, blah, blah, blah. And I never believe him. But I think this is one year when I look at that 6A bracket when I could definitely say I, I think it's up in the air. I mean, do you look at Central York, the number one seed, as like a, a, a strong favorite or are they just one of the teams? Well, they appear to be a strong favorite just because they've been hammering everybody. But, 
Uh, no, I would think there's a one, one A and probably a one B in play here. The one B is up for debate, I think, but I don't, I don't think anybody would be surprised if one versus two central and Harrisburg um, collide in the finals. Um, but you're right. Uh, I, I have called this six A in district three, the wild west since week five. Um, it has been a bear trying to figure out where to sort of latch these teams and, and, and what's going to happen. Um, you know, Carl, I mean, I, I look at, I mean, I look at all eight teams and can sort of route, maybe not Hemfield because their their schedule is going to be a bear, uh, and maybe not Yorkai because I think they're going to run into you know, two of the, two of the teams that are playing the best right now, um, but you know, anybody else, I, it would not surprise me to see anybody uh, in those eight teams win. Um, but Central York has, you know, obviously arguably one of the best players in the state, uh, in Bo Prabula, their quarterback, uh, obviously they went to the PIAA championship, uh, round last year. Um, he, he's just a kid that just refuses his team to lose. And, and, and that, when you have that kind of presence, it, it just elevates everyone else's game. And they have the type of defense, the speed, the physical play too, uh, that could give Harrisburg fits. So, um, and I think could probably, Harrisburg's probably the toughest up front. Um, but, you know, these other teams like Wilson, even Manhattan Township, you know, ha- have played tremendous at times this season. So I-, I really don't have a good, good idea. I mean, I, I, you know, I would think Central York is the best, obviously, for being the one. But, man, it- it's wide open. You're right. It is exact. It's really wide open. So Harrisburg has only one loss, and that was to Governor Mifflin. But, of course, they were without their starting quarterback, Sean Lee, in that game. And, again, like I said, it's Mifflin. So we'll just throw that out the window. Uh, you know, Cal Everett teams, to me, they, they always get better and better as the season goes on. I, it would not surprise me to see them in the final. I mean, you know, not at all. I expect them to be there or to win it. Uh, I just have a lot of respect for that program. How do you think they're playing right now? Yeah, they're playing very well. They're, you know, it's interesting because, you know, in, in years past, we've seen and even, you know, Calvin and I have talked about this multiple times about sort of beating themselves. You know, there, 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 there seems to be in every game this little either a lull or a lack of focus where they get, you know, four or five offside penalties that derails a drive. And next thing you know, it's a short punt, short field for the opposition. And now they're back on their heels. Now they have the, they have the overall talent to overcome some of those mistakes, but when you get in the postseason and everyone you're playing is a threat and every one of these teams is a threat uh, against Harrisburg, including Carlisle on Saturday, no one wanted to see Carlisle make it because they are, uh, they're a very dangerous football team. And they showed it last week when they rallied back and beat central dolphin East, who's the three seed in this tournament. So, so there's no givens anymore. So you can't not have that lack of focus uh, once you get to the postseason, especially one where every every team is dangerous, there have been years past where you're like, okay, Harrisburg is going to go to the final just on athletic ability alone. You know, they could probably be minus two in turnovers during the game and still get by, or they're fine. Uh, that won't be the case uh, this year. It, it certainly won't be. So they've got to stay focused. They have been. They have been uh, focused. They have played very difficult or very tough in key situations. And that's the best sign for Harrisburg. I mean, you know, the plays are there, the big playability is there. They have the ability to run the ball uh, between the tackles. 
They play pretty good defense. They give up a big player too. Um, so they're a very well-rounded football team, uh, more so than in maybe in, even in years past. Um, what now? What happened to CD East last week? They they were, I mean, they're having a great season. They were creating some buzz, and then they lose to Carlisle. I mean, was that more just Carlisle playing a great game, or did CD East drop the ball there? Yeah, I think I think it was Carlisle playing a, a great game. To be honest with you, Carlisle is Carlisle. The attitude around that program, Brett. First of all, Coach Brett Ickes has done a tremendous job uh, this year. Um, it is never easy for a what we would sort of say a tweener you know, um, pick, uh, in the preseason walking in the Commonwealth division. Um, you've got the likes of central Dolphin and Harrisburg, obviously state college, you know, and some of these other teams, Altoona is, is a difficult out, uh, they're in the six, a, you know, semifinals this week. And it's just week to week. It's just a bear to get through. And you really didn't know, especially with, you know, the COVID situation, you really didn't know, uh, what kind of paint this was going to be on. And um, Carlisle has just stayed the course the entire way. They've de- no distractions. They've stayed healthy. They've elevated their game to the point where they're competing every week and they're stealing some victories. Um, seven and three is a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment for them. Um, I think they're probably p- overachieving a little bit, but um, but again, this is a this is a pretty good football program. And they've got really good athletes and they've got some strength up front. And that's something that's been lacking at Carlisle. I mean, you could have, you know, you know, Nick Singleton could be the best running back in the country, which arguably he is. But if they if he doesn't have that wall in front of him, you know, as well as I do, he's not going to produce those kind of numbers. So uh, Carlisle has that has has those guys up front now. And that's been the difference for them. So I think, yeah, I just think they they were they refused to sort of lose last week and they were down and, and they didn't, you know, they didn't shy away from the challenge. And and that's something to be admired uh, for that program. Okay. So you mentioned Nick Singleton, let's move to five a and talk about mm-hmm. governor Mifflin. Uh, you've had them ranked number one in the state for, I don't know, the last five or six weeks. Uh, yeah. do, do you see anybody in district three challenging them? No, no. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the quick answer. I mean, I, again, I, I want, I, I start, I mean, there's so many places to start with this team. Obviously, most start with Singleton, who, who's just tremendous. Uh, you know, returning All-State guy. He would have been player of the year last year if it was not for Cole Spencer. And I don't want to bring up that name because I know it has bad vibes in uh, in Shillington. But, uh, you know, he would have been player of the year last year. He's, he's certainly going to be in the mix this year. But that offensive line, I would consider the best in the state, regardless of classification. That's my opinion. Um, but... It has been tremendous. And to me, too, the the work that Eden Johnson has done in the option has 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 basically give has given Singleton even more room. I mean, the late pitches that this kid gives means Singleton's at full speed before he even touches the ball. And that's just I mean, that's just cruel on defense. (laughs) You know, it is. It's absolutely cruel. And he know, and, and obviously Jonathan knows he's going to take hits. He knows he's going to get, you know, hit from either a crashing D end or whoever. But he waits to the very last minute to throw the pitch, and it's been tremendously successful. And then you've got Trey Rock for the times he runs between the tackles. And, and there's just so many nice elements, you know, fun elements to watch on this Mifflin team. I think – I just think they're too well-rounded, too strong up front for Man Up Central. Uh, I think that's 
it has to be the one two. Uh, I think that's the final we're going to get uh, in five A, and uh, and that's that's really how it should be. I mean, Shippensburg could good could give Manheim Central if they get to that point um, some fits, uh, but I still think overall I think Manheim Central is probably a tick better. Um, so I expect one versus two in five A. So uh, let's let's stay on Mifflin and let's talk about the state. Uh, yeah. you're obviously impressed with them. Yeah. Uh, who, who are their biggest challengers, uh, in the state and, and how do you see that, that tournament playing out? Well, I guess it's likely it's going to be, you know, they're going to go to Mansion Park, I, I would guess in the state semifinals, probably against Moon, uh, the Whipple champ, or maybe Penn Trafford. I think Penn Trafford could give Moon, um, a battle there, uh, in the Whipple finals, but, Imhotep Charter. I mean, they've got those, you know, they've got those five to six D1 guys. They've got the speed. Um, and that, you know, that'll take care of, that'll take place at Hershey Park. I mean, I thoroughly expect Governor Mifflin to be at Hershey Park on uh, what I would have been December, I guess it would be 10th or 11th, um, and playing for a state title. I mean, I, I, you know, again, all things being equal, everyone stays healthy. You know, we don't get a bug that causes a shutdown, things like that. But um, but that should be your state championship game, and 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 I would pencil, I still would pencil in Governor Mifflin uh, to win it all. I think they're, I, I think the fact too of that near miss last year uh, is something that they have rallied behind, um, and they've put it basically in the back of their brains that listen, we're not gonna we're not gonna come up short uh, this year, you know. So I, I would say I would say Imhotep Charter in the final is the biggest uh, threat to Governor Mifflin. Now, in the six classifications, and you have North Penn is your number one in 6A. Uh, right. Jersey Shore is number one in 4A. Central Valley in 3A. Mm-hmm. Farrell in 2A. Mm-hmm. And Old Forge in 1A. And they're right. all, all unbeaten. Of those six classifications, if you had to bet a dollar on one of those teams, which, which of those six is the surest bet for a state championship? Whew, that's a good question. I think I, I think you have to eliminate six A just because again, uh, there are so many question marks. St. Joe's Prep has to play Wood this week, uh, and then try to get through LaSalle, um, who obviously took them out uh, earlier in the season. Uh, and then we've talked about how difficult it is to figure out who's coming out of three, um, and six is probably a, a crapshoot as well. Um, so I would probably say if I had to point to one class. Um, I would probably say Mifflin. I would probably say 5A. I, I think they're the strongest team. I think you can make an argument for them being the best team in the state. Um, they have every element in place to win a championship. And 4A, 4A could get a little dicey. Uh, McDevitt has the weapons. McDevitt has the overall strength. Um, they're playing without egos, which is which is great. That's 50% of the battle for them. Um and realistically, when they get if if Bishop McDevitt does win a district title, they're going to stay in the East and probably wind up with against Bonner Prendergast or Valley View. Um, they're going to be superior on paper to either one of those teams. Um, so you know it's prob they're probably looking at a final against Bell Vernon, the Whipple Whipple number one, which would be a great game. Um, and why missing is probably a close second, Mike. I, I know this is Burks. I know you're Berks County and all that, and I, I seem to be loving the Berks County squads, and I hope I don't put any kind of uh, root on them. But why missing has a has a pretty good path 
Um, you know, they're going to have to probably get through Scranton prep. Um, but I think they could do that. And then you're probably looking at North Google, um, you know, or maybe Newman Garetti uh, in the quarterfinals. So I would probably say Mifflin one, why I'm missing two, because Farrell and Southern Columbia are probably destined to meet up again um, or meet the finals. And, uh, and single A truly is um, difficult to, to pick out a winner. So 5A and 3A, those are my answers. So you're, you're thinking I'm going to be in Hershey on back-to-back days covering why I'm missing and Governor Mifflin. I'll put it this way. I would be surprised if you were not in Hershey on at least one of those days. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I felt that way uh, since midseason. I mean, I was pretty certain about Mifflin early and what why I'm missing's done the last, well, since Southern Columbia and since then – you know, that's just an impressive team. They don't have any superstars. I mean, they've got, you know, a Division One tight end in Aiden Mack and, and Jevin Williams now. He's the darling of all the, uh, uh, you know, Division One schools. He's picking up offers left and right. right. Uh, but those aren't like, you know, skill positions or positions that, that stand out. But they're just so solid across the board. They're so fundamentally sound. On defense, they just know exactly what they're doing, and they play with a lot of confidence. Uh, and I just get more impressed every time I see them. And I'm I'm kind of not looking forward to the next three weeks in districts because I just think they're gonna they're gonna walk over everybody. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you too. And I had to remind somebody it was just on a uh, on a Facebook show last night, and I had to remind everybody. I'm like, this is a team that lost six All State guys to yeah. graduation. Yeah, I mean six. And you lost, you know, you lost, I mean, you lost, I mean, really good linemen like Feitner and, uh, I know Lexi were all state guys and that like, you know, pretty much the life force of the, at least the face of the franchise last year, uh, and, and Evan Nadrowski, the linebacker fullbacker, you know, perfect fit and why I'm missing, you know, the big burly, you know, guy that just runs up the middle. And, and then you had the athletes like Zekman and, uh, and even, even, uh, Cerulli, the kicker. So you had all these all-state guys that you lost, and it, it, it just – they don't miss – it just looks like they didn't miss a beat. I mean, they just filled in the gaps, and then all of a sudden, here they are, you know, perfect and just walloping teams. So, obviously, it's going to get uh, – you know, I, I don't want to overlook the fact that, you know, Boiling Springs is a very tough opponent. That could be the district final. Um, you know, they play sort of a little bit more wide open uh, than in the past. Um, and they've got they've got some tremendous playmakers too. So I, I don't want to just hand over the district title to why I'm missing, but um, I, I still think that they're the team that comes out of three. And again, I think they're going to be well. They'll be matched up well against those teams they have to get, um, you know, in between them to get back to Hershey Park. So I, yeah, I think we could have a we could have a rematch of last year's final between Central and why I'm missing. Well, I know why missing uh, would love that the players and the fans, and I'd yeah. like to see it because I've heard nothing but good things out of Central Valley. You know, it's an outstanding program, and they they've reloaded as well, so that would make a tremendous uh, yeah. championship. But we're a long way from that, Eric. Uh, you've made a lot of people happy today, saying that why missing and Mifflin are going to be <laughs> in the state championship game. Uh, I hope I can hold up physically until then because we, we're still five, six weeks away from that. But we have a lot of great football uh, left between now and then. And uh, say, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. It was a lot of fun, and I hope we can do it again uh, later in the playoffs. Well, Mike, I thank you very much, and I wanted to just congratulate you on qualifying for your first postseason <laughs> as an independent contractor. You changed the culture of that program, 
and uh, you're doing a tremendous job. So thanks for having me. Thanks. I'll see you down the road. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Mike. Take care. Let's just take a brief time out to remind you that the Mike Drago Sports Podcast is brought to you each and every week during football season by Utilities Employees Credit Union. Did you know that Pennsylvania residents can become a member of Utilities Employees Credit Union? For 30 years, UECU has received the five-star superior rating among banks and credit unions. UECU has been assessed as having the highest ranking level in capital adequacy, asset quality, and stability. Get started online at UECU.org or stop by our branch in Wyomissing on Meridian Boulevard. Now, back to a little more about this week's uh, district playoff games. Wilson at York High. It's a, it's a uh, five versus four matchup, which are always very good. Bulldogs' uh, biggest problem this week is stopping Jameer White, running back for the Bearcats. Uh, some people have uh, compared him favorably to Nick Singleton of Governor, Governor Mifflin in terms of his speed-power combination. So the Bulldogs uh, are going to have their hands full uh, with them. Uh, Daniel Boone heads to Waynesboro. Uh, first game in three weeks for the Blazers. They had to sit out the last two weeks because of COVID issues, so it's going to be interesting to see how they can bounce back from that. Uh, Twin Valley, very excited to be in its first District 3 playoff game ever. They will play at Spring Grove. Uh, going to be a tough one for the Raiders there. Uh, I think one of the best games of the week and the game I'm headed to is uh, Big Spring at Conrad Weiser, it's a 10-7 matchup. Uh, that is going to be a real shootout. Both teams can really score. I think we're going to have a, a back-and-forth game there. Interesting note, uh, Joe Sinkovich, the former Hamburg coach, is now at Big Spring, and he's done a tremendous job turning that program around. Uh, also, uh, Hamburg plays its first home game in a district playoff uh, game. Uh, Hawks have to be excited about that. They're the number three seed in 3A. And then uh, we have two Eastern Conference Championship games. Boyertown is at Fleetwood uh, in the uh, 5A, 6A game. And Schuylkill Valley is at Nanticoke. So somebody's coming home with hardware, especially in the uh, Boyertown-Fleetwood game. We're going to have a, a Burks champion out of that game. And then Saturday, it's uh, Northern Lebanon, the number eight seed. Uh, got to feel bad for the Vikings because they are going to Wyomissing, which has just been relentless uh, in recent weeks, really the whole season. Uh, I'll be at that game. Uh, I don't expect it to last long. That is the, that, that one's going to wrap up pretty quickly. And uh, speaking of wrapping up, we're going to wrap up the uh, Mike Drago Sports Podcast for this week. First, a big shout-out to my technical advisor, Joe Mays, for helping me uh, – get this podcast on the air and uh joe has experience there he's got several podcasts of his own you can listen to him each week talk wilson football on the bulldog hour the mike drago sportscast is presented every week by utilities employees credit union and a reminder that the uh, uh mike drago sports.com where you can find Berks County's most comprehensive coverage of football, soccer, basketball, and more. Check out the website for the latest on Week 11 football news. Also, uh, you'll find a feature of uh, Bill Bourne, the father of the Bourne Power Index. I think you're familiar with that. Read all about how Bill uh, got that thing started. And also, later this week, I'll have a story about 
uh, Alvernia coach Mike Miller and his relationship with former UConn coach Jim Calhoun. Their teams may meet this weekend when college basketball kicks off. And also uh, planning a story on Wes Butler, the former Red Knights uh, outstanding guard, now getting ready for his sophomore season at Kutztown U. And we'll leave you with this. We're offering a special discount for one-year subscriptions on MikeDragosports.com. Uh, go to the uh, website, click on subscribe, and if you enter the code MikeDragoPod, all one word, you'll get a discount. So uh, do that today and catch up on the latest football news in Berks County. Until next week, we'll talk to you then. Thank you.